Prime Minister, welcome to the West Block. Thank you, Mercedes. Uh, you've spoken in this chamber so many times. It looks a little different today. What message do you want to send to Canadians as we head into Christmas and the election in 2019? Oh, just that the political debate that happens here, that happens in uh, the West Block that we'll be moving to after Christmas, uh, will continue to be focused on them. We'll be focused on bringing people together and talking about how we try to respond to the big challenges we're facing now and into the future. And the fact that we come together as representatives from every corner of the country to serve and, and bring forward the concerns of, their, uh, of our citizens uh, is one of the extraordinary strengths of Canada. Well, and speaking of concerns of your citizens and big issues, oil, of course, a huge one right now. Your government has announced over $1.6 billion for Alberta, but it's not for more pipelines or for rail cars, which is what the Alberta government and the oil industry were asking for. Why didn't you give them what they requested? Uh, I think, first of all, we, we need to understand how much of a crisis uh, folks in Alberta are going through right now. Uh, families are suffering. This is an extremely difficult time. When I was out there a few weeks ago, I heard from members of the industry, members of the public who were really, really worried about the situation. And we were you know, pleased to be able to move forward and uh, supporting some of the companies and, and bringing forward short and medium term solutions. But we know the only real solution uh, for uh, Alberta oil companies and for the industry is uh, to get our resources to new markets other than the United States. That's been something that has been at the top of the industry's wish list for about a decade and a half now. Uh, and uh, we think we're getting closer than we ever have before, but there's, a, there, there's still a lot of work to do. Why not buy the rail cars that the Alberta government's asking for? We're, our officials are engaged very much with uh, with the Alberta government, and we're looking at that as as a, as a possible solution. Uh, we've heard from farmers uh, and other folks who are worried about uh, picking one important commodity over another. We know farmers have had challenges with getting their uh, uh, their their grain to uh, to ports on rail. We need to make sure there's no unintended consequences. But we're absolutely uh, looking at how the best solution is. We're working with the Alberta government. And if uh, rail cars end up being uh, the right solution, then we're, we'll be happy to, to, uh, to participate. Would you consider championing, championing a, a west-east pipeline? It doesn't have to be energy east, but any pipeline that might go through Quebec. Well, if there's going to be uh, such a proposal, it has to come forward from the private sector. It has to come forward as uh, a, real, uh, a real approach. We, right now, there is no project on the table, and uh, we will you know, look at any project that comes forward and allow it to go through the proper processes. Why wouldn't you consider reviving energy east? It's not up to the federal government to revive uh, a pipeline project that for uh, market-based reasons, the company uh, decided to withdraw. In terms of going forward, you are, of course, running Trans Mountain. It goes through British Columbia. British Columbians say, when Quebec said they didn't want a pipeline, they didn't get a pipeline. When we said we don't want a pipeline, we're having one bought by the federal government forced down our throat. What do you say to British Columbians? Uh, actually, the British Columbian government uh, under Christy Clark was supportive of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Uh, there was a change in government and the government was opposed, but there are also a lot of folks in BC, including Indigenous communities, who understand that it is important for us to get our resources to new markets other than the United States. The fact that Alberta oil uh, 
can only export to one customer means uh, there are you know, billions, tens of billions of dollars of discount that we uh, don't have to spend on hospitals, schools, uh, and a, a vast array of important investments across this country. Getting our resources to new markets safely and securely in a way that protects the environment, in a way that reaches our climate change goals is something uh, that we're committed to doing and we're going to do it the right way. One quote that I hear over and over from Albertans, and I'll read it to you, you'll recognize it, uh, that you said in January 2017, we can't shut down the oil sands tomorrow, we need to phase them out. We need to manage the transition off our dependence on fossil fuels. There are Albertans who think your government hasn't intervened to a greater extent because you want to starve the oil sands. I think that's, Is that true? No, it's absolutely not clear. I'm not going to uh, play politics with jobs across the country. I know how hardworking uh, folks are right across the country, particularly in the oil patch at a time where people are, are, are suffering. Uh, that's why we bought a pipeline. The federal government took the unprecedented role that, that you know we got criticized for from uh, uh, you know, a number of corners. Uh, but they need but more only pipeline. way, but we're moving forward tangibly on the big project that is on the table that was able to get built. And that's, that's why we are making sure we're listening to the blueprint that the uh, Federal Court of Appeals laid forward where they said, yes, you need to consult with environment, uh, you need to listen to environmental science, you need to work with indigenous peoples, and you need to get the pipeline built in the right way if it's going to be built. We are listening to them, we are doing more consultation with indigenous peoples, we're doing uh, stronger environmental science, particularly around marine mammals, and we are demonstrating that we understand that the only way to move forward on getting our resources built to new markets is to do it a different way than it was tried in the past. That means respecting and involving communities and citizens' concerns about uh, environmental sustainability. There are some indigenous communities who are very opposed to this, and they've mm -hmm. said there'll be another OCA if the pipeline goes forward. Are you prepared for that? Uh, I think one of the things that we've seen is that there's never going to be unanimity on any issue in Canada amongst any group of Canadians, and indigenous Canadians are no different. There are folks who are in favor of it. There are folks who are against it. The important thing around the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples is that there be genuine engagement, genuine uh, work to accommodate concerns, uh, to try and reach consent, to try and reach uh, support. Indigenous peoples in this country have been marginalized and uh, and uh, excluded from our economic progress, our progress as communities. But are you prepared if it becomes violent? I, I think we are focused on making sure that things get done right and that people get listened to. Uh, we are going to me be making sure that things are done the right way. How serious do you think Western alienation is? I haven't met a lot of Canadians in any part of the country that have ill will towards any other Canadians in any other part of the country. Although Albertans were met, booing French the other day. Met, I haven't met a lot of Albertans who genuinely wish ill of Quebecers, and I haven't met many Quebecers at all who wish ill of Albertans. I have seen politicians uh, of various stripes in various places trying to uh, foment negative sentiments and play the kinds of divisive cards that we've seen in the past. That's not my job as so Prime you Minister. you don't think Western alienation is growing? I think, I think there are politicians trying to exploit it, but I, I know that Canadians right across the country understand that we need to be there for each other if we're going to succeed, that when folks are facing a tough time, whether it's in Alberta or elsewhere, we need to support them.
Is part of this based on votes? Because that's one of the theories. There's only a few seats in Alberta for the Liberal Party, and th therefore and there's been I, a reluctance to act. I bought a pipeline <laughs> because, because we're looking for more seats. That was the only one for sale at that particular moment. I mean, what do you want me to say? This was the project we needed to move forward in the right way on. It was about to be cancelled by the proponent. Uh, you could make it easier uh, to build more, though. To, you could ease some of the restrictions. Uh, that's one of the things we're doing, actually. We're moving forward on C69, which is actually going to create a clear process that will allow big projects to move forward. The Canadian Mining Association, uh, that is the, the industry that has the most environmental assessments, has welcomed uh, this C69 because it creates more clarity for projects. It, it removes the doubling up of, of oversight from provincial or, or, uh, or federal. Uh, it brings shorter timelines, less stopping of the clock, uh, earlier consultation so there's better predictability. And the minister gets to make the ultimate decision. Um, I think, I think people understand that there should be a level of political accountability on this and not just uh, unnamed bureaucrats having the final say. I think Canadians trust their politicians uh, to make the right decisions in the national interest and I think uh, it, it's important to have a process and actually uh, one of the things that, that industry had asked for when we did many of the consultations on how to get environmental assessment right in a way that works for industry, uh, they said they didn't want unnamed anonymous backroom people uh, making determinations without accountability. Uh, speaking of accountability, uh, steel tariffs. Mm -hmm. This has been a big issue for Canadians and aluminum. It affects a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. Why haven't you been able to make progress on getting those removed? Uh, we have been uh, working very, uh, very closely with the American administration on exactly that. I think people understand the American administration uh, is uh, is particularly attached uh, to using 232 tariffs as as a tool. Uh, but we've been working with members of Congress, with business leaders, uh, with governors who understand that tariffs hurt people on both sides. We're not happy about having countervailing tariffs on bourbon, on products that people are importing from the United States. Uh, but we understand that, that this is something we need to do in order uh, to get the political, uh, political will to remove those tariffs in, in the United States. There are a lot of Canadians who are concerned about volatility right now, mm -hmm. whether it's populism or the economy. They're watching their savings go up and down. Some are worried about what's going to happen with the Bank of Canada in January. If there's an interest rate hike, they could lose their homes. Your government is still spending into deficits. What are you doing to prepare the country for a potential recession if you're spending when times are good? Well, I think, I think there were two very, very different conceptions of how to grow the economy and how to uh, help Canadians on display in the 2015 election. Uh, the Conservatives uh, were committed to their continued approach of making cuts to things like veteran services or family benefits and, uh, and, uh, and balance the budget at all costs as you know, the best marker of uh, what is benefiting Canadians. We disagreed. We said the best way to help Canadians uh, would be to actually grow the economy and create jobs in a way that uh, Stephen Harper's government wasn't able to do. We put more money in the pockets of the middle class. We've uh, given Canadians the confidence to create 800,000 jobs over the past three years, to grow our economy at rates that we hadn't seen under the previous government, and, and continue to lower our debt-to-GDP ratio uh, in a way that is among the best in the world, and we're 
continuing to be on a downward track with our debt as a, as a, as a share of the economy. And the top ratings agencies around the world that actually bondholders who, who lend money to countries like Canada have consistently ranked our approach and our, our fiscal plan at a triple A. But if you have to spend more and mm -hmm. the country goes into recession, where does that money come from? Well, if, if we are spending uh, on uh, and investing in things like better public transit, better housing for Canadians, uh, better training, better jobs, better job opportunities, that is going to give Canadians the resilience to handle any shocks that happen to the economy. So it's about are we investing the right kinds of things? And we made the decision to put more money in the pockets of the middle class, more money in, in kids who, who need after school programs and, and have better groceries uh, in their lunches uh, because of the Canada Child Benefit. And we've had tangible positive outcomes in our in that and the fact that our debt as a share of the size of our economy continues to decline means there is room um, you know it, for us to adjust if we do hit rough waters one of the big concerns for Canadians this year has been asylum seekers mm. and immigration your tweet saying welcome to Canada is often cited as the reason why these people are, are pouring across the border do you ever regret that tweet? I think, first of all, um, if people are you know, in the midst of migration around the world right now, um, it's not because of a tweet restating almost word for word Canadian policy on refugees, because that's exactly what it was. And certainly if people are uh, fleeing the United States right now or choosing to leave the United States right now, it's not something I said. It is perhaps domestic realities within the political context in the United States the that is driving people, people to move or to make certain decisions. Uh, we have um, made sure that anyone coming to Canada, including through an irregular border crossing like, like Roxham Road in Quebec, gets a full security screening as soon as they arrive, gets put into our refugee processing system and will have their file properly analyzed and if it turns out they are not refugees as many of them are not genuine refugees fleeing persecution and violence for their lives they will be returned to their country of origin once we've gone through the proper steps of our immigration system but in some cases that could take years it's slowing down the immigration system and the refugee system in particular for people who are in refugee camps all over the mm. world who want to come here you've been very critical of people who've raised concerns about this no i haven't been critical of people who've raised concerns i recognize that there are lots of legitimate questions are we processing these people right are we uh, investing enough money in in the system to be able to handle this and we have invested more and we are improving our systems where i have been critical is people who are disseminating falsehoods to try and turn Canadians against immigration. We have a country that you know, broadly across political parties over the past decades and generations, whether it's been a progressive conservative or conservative or, or liberal government, has built over years one of the best immigration systems in the world. And because of that, Canadians have confidence that immigration is good for our but communities polls are and our showing economy. That that's starting to change. Are you concerned that this is going to turn when Canadians against immigration? When you have politicians deliberately disseminating falsehoods, like the Global Compact on Immigration is a binding attack on our sovereignty. I mean, these are the kinds of things that, unfortunately, the Conservative Party has chosen to start spreading as information when they know, in fact, that that's patently false. We see 
a political party going to a place that no mainstream political party in Canada has gone before, which is paying a very, very dangerous game of starting to turn Canadians against immigration when most Canadians know full well that uh, new families coming to their communities, uh, integrating, creating jobs, creating opportunities is part of what is growing and strengthening our economy. Do you think, though, there's some legitimate concerns about the $340 million the parliamentary budget officer said this is costing, uh, about the, the cost on housing in cities like Toronto where people are running out of space? Is it, is it all really politicians who are twisting this? No. I mean, there are real concerns, and, and we, we recognize them. That's why we're working with the government of Quebec uh, to try and make sure that we can compensate them for the extra costs on housing and look at some of the other costs as well. It's why we've been working with Toronto, why we'd very much like to work with the government of Ontario to talk about some of the some of the extra housing needs they have they haven't been particularly willing to engage with us in these in these discussions and negotiations but we know that Canadians expect different orders of government to work together to solve these challenges because we also understand that making sure that people have uh, a roof over their heads and the support to be able to try and contribute uh, while they're here even if they're only here temporarily while their claims are being uh, assessed is also so good for our economy and good for our communities. Let's look overseas. Mm -hmm. China mm -hmm. has been a huge issue for your government in recent weeks. Do you believe that China is a national security threat? Yeah, I think China, as the world's, world's uh, second largest uh, economy and growing, is going to be a place that Canada needs to have a consistent and uh, very carefully thought out policy on. I mean, one of the challenges of, of previous governments is there was often sort of a hot or cold approach on China. We've been very trying, very much trying to be consistent in uh, looking for economic opportunities, looking for ways to benefit from access to uh, an extraordinary growing market of hundreds of millions of people who are part of the global middle class in China and their desire for Canadian products or desire to come visit Canada and spend money as tourists. These kinds of things are positive, but the flip side is we need to make sure that there is a, a framework, a predictable level of protections for Canadian businesses and for Canadians uh, when uh, they go to China, when they engage with China, while at the same time we're standing up consistently for uh, the rule of law, whether it's concerns around uh, the South China Sea, uh, whether it's concerns around uh, treatment of Uyghurs in, in, uh, in, East, in Western China. Uh, there are uh, questions that we're always highlighting and we're very very much on those two tracks of engaging substantively in the kinds of values-based issues that Canadians expect and looking for ways to uh, protect and promote uh, Canadian interests. Before you came to power, you'd said that you admired some of the efficiency that the Chinese government had uh, often quoted. You also prioritized when you first came in as Prime Minister trying to develop a free trade agreement with China. Has your opinion of China changed? I think we, we've demonstrated that having a predictable uh, structure around how we engage with China would be good for us, making sure that there are rules. And as we've looked at a, a trade agreement with China, uh, you know, some of the points of contention that we had were, were things like uh, we were expecting uh, movement on, on labor rights if we're going to have a free trade deal with China. We were expecting uh, a level of comfort with uh, the free press and media. Uh, these are things that aren't just um, nice-to-haves or add-ons, they are fundamental to how we think Canadians will remain protected in trade where the scale of the Chinese economy versus the Canadian economy is, is mismatched in certain ways, uh, but that we think we can do in a mutually beneficial way that abides by our, our values and our concerns. 
There are two Canadians who have been detained in China uh, in the wake of the arrest of the CFO of Huawei here in Canada. A third who's been detained, who Global Affairs is saying, it looks like isn't related to that. Have you had a chance to speak with President Xi about the Canadians who've been detained? No, I, I have not uh, reached out to speak with... Uh, Why not? Uh, because when you deal with... Um, consular cases and one of the things that we've done since the very beginning of coming into office is we put a much higher priority than other governments have on sticking up for Canadians overseas on being active in engaging with them and we've demonstrated a, a, a certain level of success by escalating them through the proper processes not going already into um, into a, a, a place where uh, we might have unintended consequences for a top level of engagement. Uh, having the ambassador engage directly, having our foreign affairs ministers reaching out to each other, uh, having officials engage. We function on a rule of law basis. We, we if we're going to arrest or detain someone, uh, we're going to do it based on our rules without any political interference. China contends that it is doing the same thing and we're going to take them at their word on that. You don't we're, believe we're going a to link. say we are going to say okay you've detained these people we are going to take this as as you say that's independent from from anything else going on so great share with us the evidence explain to us why you're doing this allow us full consular access let's go through the proper rule of law steps. And this is something that comes down to, to, to a really important principle for Canadians. Now, there are folks out there who wonder if we're, we're Boy Scouts because, uh, you know, we're always applying the rules and, and, and you know, being responsible about the, the, the rules-based order and the rule of law when other countries are perhaps not doing that. Well, I can't speak for what other countries are going to do or what other choices other countries make, but I do know that a, a rules-based system and a protection of the rule of law isn't just about being you know, good or nice. It's about protecting all of us and, and all of and our And that citizens. works at home, but it doesn't necessarily work for Canadians who are abroad, but, like Canadians in China right but now. But if we were to start changing the way we obey our own rules, we would then be perpetrating a system where there are no rules. And standing up for the rules and the principles and the, and the independence of the judiciary is something ultimate we need more countries to do, and not be a country ourselves that is not doing anymore. This is the only way, medium and long term, to actually move this, this, this global community forward in a way that is better for all citizens. Have you spoken to President Trump and asked him to go to bat to try to help Canada out here? Because his most recent statement that basically this could be a bargaining chip, I can't imagine that's helpful. Um, yeah, listen, like I said, uh, other countries will make determinations about what they say. We will continue to apply. Uh, but have you the asked the Americans for their backing uh, at, at the have, presidential level? We have communicated our, our, uh, our questions to uh, our counterparts in the United States. I have not spoken with the president on this issue yet. Are you concerned about other Canadians who are in China? I, I, we are always concerned about Canadians overseas in a broad range of areas. Uh, but do you think they're going so to be clear. picked up and punished because of this? This is why we are so clear uh, that we expect that the rule of law will be followed in every case. Speaking of the rule of law, in China one of the rules is that any company must work for Chinese intelligence if it is requested. Huawei, of course, is hoping to come here to Canada uh, and have their 5G network. And mm. a number of your Five Eyes allies have advised this is not a good idea. They've refused it in their own countries. You say the bureaucrats are looking at this. But as the Prime Minister, after watching this unfold, 
Why would you ever allow Huawei to operate here? We are a country that has among the top uh, national security and intelligence officers in the world. Our agencies are top-notch and are very, very carefully assessing and examining uh, risks to Canada uh, and and what to do best to protect them. We are uh, certainly taking a look at, at proposals and evidence by our partners, including the United States, on uh, why they're making certain decisions. We will uh, take very, very seriously what it is we need to do to protect Canadians, but we will not let politics interfere with that process. We're going to make decisions based on you know, what is right for Canadians, what is the best recommendation of the experts when it comes to national security and, and intelligence. Speaking of intelligence, national security, of course, Saudi Arabia mm. comes to mind. Um, you've put sanctions on a number of the individuals who are believed to have been involved in the murder of Mr. Khashoggi. You haven't sanctioned the Crown Prince, however. Why not? Um, when I uh, met with uh, the, the Crown Prince in, in uh, at the G20, I asked him some very direct questions about uh, Khashoggi. Uh, we talked about Raif Badawi. Uh, we talked about uh, about the need for a, a ceasefire in Yemen. Um, I indicated that Canadians were, like people around the world, uh, outraged by the murder of a journalist. That is something that goes to the very heart of the principles that we know underpin our democratic freedoms and the stability of, of uh, uh, and rights of people around the world uh, and I said that we need a better and clearer answers and we are working with our international partners our five eye partners we're working with uh, with uh, Turkey and others to try and get to uh, better accountability for uh, the murder of Khashoggi why not disclose to Canadians how much it would cost to cancel the LAF contract um, there uh, was a contract signed uh, by Stephen Harper, by the Conservative uh, government, uh, that features uh, a number of very difficult clauses, including a confidentiality clause that would uh, leave us in uh, vulnerable in the, in, the, in the billions of dollars. Um, and there is a tendency and a potential to try and play politics with this. I can understand why anyone who sat in Stephen Harper's caucus when that, that uh, contract was signed uh, would not want the details of that contract to be, to be made public. Uh, but we are very, very aware that there are a lot of jobs on the line. There are jobs on the line in um, in, in London, uh, at not just the p folks who work at GDLS, but uh, the suppliers in the region that we are very, very uh, careful and thoughtful about. But you know, I also heard uh, the leader of the opposition uh, talk about uh, cancelling uh, any importation of Saudi oil uh, as a, a way to go. Now, again, I choose to make politics and, and practice politics and debate based on facts, and I think the leader of the opposition well knows that there is only one uh, refinery in the country that imports Saudi oil, and that is the Irving Refinery in St. John's, at which and you thousands, that off. thousands of people work. Most of that Saudi oil actually flows to, uh, to the United States. None of it currently goes to Quebec. So there's a lot of misinformation and playing politics with people's jobs going on that I don't think is something that a Prime Minister should engage with. We're going to take very seriously the responsibility we have towards workers in London, towards workers in St. John's, towards workers in Oshawa, towards to workers, in, in Al Albert, uh, to voters, uh, to workers in Alberta as well.
Sorry. Do, do, do votes win, though, over the moral line that maybe we should be drawing in the Senate? Well, they, those are reflections that we do need to have as, as a Canadian, uh, as Canadians. And certainly our stance on sanctions, uh, the fact that I directly challenged uh, the, the Crown Prince on these issues, the fact that uh, we are continuing to engage robustly uh, in looking at uh, the continuation of export permits, these are all things that are complex situations that Canadians expect us to being, be weighing uh, our values, our principles, uh, the impact on Canadian families, and figuring out a way forward that is the right one for us. Prime Minister, as we come into the Christmas season, a lot of Canadians are reflecting on their faith, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, secularism. What does faith mean to you? Um, my Catholicism underpins uh, my, my values, my approach to um, to the role I have to serve my community and to serve my country and to serve my world and fellow citizens with the, the best I possibly can. It uh, grinds me in a, it grounds me in a sense that we are, um, you know, we are just passing through this world and need to serve as best we possibly can with, uh, with peace and, and, uh, and justice in our hearts. We just have a few seconds left, but what is the biggest thing you hope to accomplish heading into this election year? Um, having a substantive conversation with Canadians about how we're going to build a better future for them. Uh, I would love for the debates in the coming year to be focused on how best to help Canadians based on facts, based on evidence, based on real ideas that Canadians can weigh one, one against the other and not get wrapped up in um, personal attacks or the politics of negativity and division. I would very much like to see a thoughtful conversation about how to move forward as a country be the feature of our 2019 election campaign. Prime Minister, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mercedes.